You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And Josh Lloyd is not here today. I'm writing solo for those that follow Josh on Twitter. You may have seen that he uh, posted this morning that his son had to go to hospital overnight, so he's not going to be podcasting today. So uh, quite clearly, he's got more important things to worry about than this podcast, and hopefully uh, everything is okay and he'll be back ASAP. But it's all right as far as this podcast goes because there's plenty of news to go through. Yesterday, obviously, we spent a fair bit of time talking about Tom Lynch, and we suspected that when he went to the tribunal This might be a decision that gets overturned pretty quickly, and that was certainly the case. Lynch is free to play this week against West Coast in what is clearly a really big game for the Tigers. It it was interesting to me because we've spoke a little bit about the tribunal system over the last few weeks, and back in the day, if you continued to have these minor offences, you would get the, the demerit points, so you'd have about 90 demerit points, and if you had a similar transgression in the, few, in the following weeks, then you would find yourself on the sidelines. And that's the way it worked. I think that that system in some ways was a little bit flawed because you did end up penalizing players games for incidents that weren't really worthy of missing a game of football. And I think that that was the problem with that. I think the AFL tried to get away from that. It was interesting watching AFL 360 last night because Jared Waitley said, Uh, that he felt if Tom Lynch was suspended for this game, that it would be a major problem for the MRO and the whole system in general because then all of a sudden you are actually suspending a player for uh, consecutive acts rather than the individual act, and that's something that they're trying to avoid. The one thing I'll say regarding Tom Lynch, and this is similar for a number of players around the league. We've certainly identified them in the past few weeks. But this is, I think, the third week in a row now that he's had something come up here and a few other times through the season. He hasn't proven that he can deal with any extra attention. And I can see people coming out, and I know Wayne Carey was one of them, and said that, listen, defenders do this stuff all the time. Well, Tom Lynch hasn't done anything to prove that he can handle that. So he should expect that this is going to continue to happen until he shows an ability to not worry about this and play through it and play well. Because he hasn't been in great form. He's only kicked 19 goals for the season. He's not even close to the Coleman medal race for a guy that is supposed to be one of the more dominant forwards in the league. So we know Richmond are playing fine. They're going to be fine. They're going to be contending for another grand final. But I just think Tom Lynch has to, has to work through this. And he has to get over it. Because this is going to continue to happen. And whether or not what Michael Hurley was doing, whether he was trying to hit him in the hand, I, I'm not 100% sure. If he was, we've spoke about this a couple of weeks ago with Jake Carlisle and Dane Rampey. It's clearly uh, rubbish. You know, if that's what Michael Hurley was trying to do, then it's a completely rubbish act. And he needs to have a look at himself as well. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, for mine, uh, if I was uh, playing on Tom Lynch, well, if I was playing on Tom Lynch, he would kick it back. But the point is, if I was an AFL player and I was on Tom Lynch right now, uh, I would be doing exactly what you saw from Hurley, exactly what you saw from Sam Collins the week before, because Tom Lynch has proven to have a short fuse and he has these little 
incidents that completely take him out of his game. And eventually, you have to believe, is going to cost him a game. And the closer we get to the finals, uh, you can see that any type of indiscretion in the finals can really, really, really hurt your team. We saw that last year with the Cats and Tom Hawkins. As far as other incidents to come up, Lincoln McCarthy is going to get a week for a bump. Uh, he ran past the ball. It was a traditional shepherd. I think it just highlights how risky bumping is right now because McCarthy didn't leave his feet. He didn't do anything necessarily wrong, but the St. Kilda player was just a little bit lower than him at the time, and it was unfortunate. He collected him on the head, and if you saw McCarthy straight after that, he reached back and put his hand up and apologized. Well, at that point, it's too late, and I don't think there was anything nasty about this bump. There was certainly nothing dirty. I don't think there was any intent to hit the player, the St. Kilda player in the head. But again, this is why I reckon if you're an AFL coach, uh, you just simply are not, or are you simply telling your players not to bump anymore because you just can't afford to do it. Because again, there was nothing wrong with that action from Lincoln McCarthy. But if you do it, you put yourself in the position where you're going to cost your team. And the Lions we've spoke about, uh, they've won the last couple of weeks and they've picked up a really important eight points. But McCarthy's become a really consistent player in their forward line. We know he had all those injury concerns with the Cats and he's been up there and been healthy. He hasn't missed a game to this point. So this is unfortunate for him leading into the finals. The other player suspended Luke Dalhouse from Geelong for a sling tackle. I thought this one was pretty obvious watching the game on Sunday. He certainly looks like he was going to be under scrutiny straight away. The one thing I will say, and this is kind of interesting, again, a little side note on what the AFL is doing with uh, incorrect disposal, with the holding the ball rule that we all know has been a bit of a schmuzzle all season long. But in this instance, the Adelaide player... I reckon in the past may have just held the ball and taken a stoppage, taken a ball up. If you see the play and if you have seen the play, what happened was the Adelaide player tried to actually kick the ball because they had one arm free. So they knew that there was no way they were going to be able to just hang onto the ball because it was going to be holding the footy. So he's tried to kick the ball as Dalhouse is initiating the tackle. And once you take one leg off the ground, clearly you're off balance. And even if the tackle for Dalhouse had didn't have the intent to sling and to drive the player's head into the ground or, or you know, certainly tackle them with force where they could hit their head on the turf, the fact that he took that one foot off the ground to try and kick the ball, naturally he was off balance and any type of force that was in the tackle was going to send him into a dangerous position. And I think we've seen a little bit of this over the last few weeks. I think players are are desperately trying to dispose of the footy, whether it's a kick, whether it's a a try and get some sort of handball away that by virtue of that, they're losing their center of balance and it is putting them into kind of dangerous positions where they can get hurt and the intent is not there from the tackler, but uh, the end result is obviously pretty nasty. So I think overall, regardless of that and whether that is something, uh, that is that is sort of creeping into the game and an issue to watch with tackles moving forward. I think that the right decision was made there. It does make you wonder about a few of the other decisions early in the year. Obviously, the Sean Burgoyne one is the one that everyone will want to talk about. Monday night footy, the Pies and the Roos. Jeez, Collingwood again. I, I got to tell you, I got to tell you that they were not convincing Collingwood. And I don't know whether I'm just a hater at this point 
with Collingwood, but they didn't impress me. North Melbourne, obviously a team struggling second bottom on the ladder at this point. They've only won three games. They haven't won a game of footy for quite a while. The Pies scraped together 10 goals. They were behind for a lot of the first half. In the end, it was pretty comfortable when they did kick away. 10-5-65, interestingly enough, is their highest score. It's only the third time they've kicked 10 goals. It's their highest score since June when they played the Saints and blew out the Saints way back then. And you know how long ago that was? That was the day that Conor McKenna tested positive for coronavirus and Victoria thought that they were just about in the clear with coronavirus and then all shit hit the, hit the fan. So that's how long ago uh, that was that Colin would have kicked 10 goals. So, uh, you know, or, or sorry, that is the highest score since that day. So, listen, their goal-kicking woes continue. This was a fascinating game because the disposal count was absolutely extraordinary in this one. It was The game was played under perfect conditions. If you listen to Alistair Lynch, who was at the game, Disposals 359 for Collingwood. It's an unbelievable number for 2020 with the shortened quarters. We just haven't seen too many games where not only does one team have 359, but the Roos had 332 as well. Watching the game, I didn't think that the teams used the ball all that well. But disposal efficiency for the Pies of 76.6, 5% above on their season average, and the Roos 759 uh, 75.9. Uh, 3.6% higher. So the numbers tell us that the teams used it pretty well. I just didn't think that they were able to find any sort of freedom in the forward 50, any sort of targets. It did feel like they wasted a, a bunch of opportunities. And I think for Collingwood, we spent a lot of time talking about the fact that Mason Cox is going to be down there. And, and I kind of said, listen, I think it's worth a shot. You've got to have a target down there. And I said that if he's going to do anything, Mason Cox, he has to provide a contest and at least give the Pies that long kick to hopefully a one-on-one. Now, it really didn't translate into wins the way that uh, wins inside 50 the way that the Pies would want. They only took two marks inside 50 for the entire game. Even though they had both Mason Cox and Darcy Cameron in the team, let's down on their season average of 7.6. So... For Collingwood, in that regard, it it wasn't a win. I thought Mason Cox had a couple of decent moments. I think it's certainly worth keeping him around in the team for another week or so and and trying to figure this out. Darcy Cameron, again, was decent. Uh, Played a a fair bit of time in the ruck as well. Obviously took a pretty nasty spill there at one point. But again, you know, for Collingwood, whether or not this works when Dugowie gets back, I'm going to say probably not. Then you can probably afford to take Cox back out of the team. But for now, for the next few weeks, I think it's worth persevering with. And the Pies just survive again. They really needed the win. They've had close wins against uh, both Adelaide, Sydney, and now North Melbourne. So the bottom three teams in the league, they've actually struggled against. But then nonetheless, they picked up those 12 points and all they need that's all they need to worry about. Uh, the Pies smashed out of the centre, which is something to note watching forward 13-6 to where the centre clearances in favour of North Melbourne. And I spoke about the disposal count. It's quite incredible to, to look at some of these uh, disposal tallies in this game. Taylor Adams led the way with 31. Jed Anderson and Luke McDonald also had 30-plus. And then Pendlebury, Higgins, Maynard, Maine, Sidebottom, Dacos, Davies, Uniac, Dumont, and Hoskin Elliott all had 20-plus as well. So it was a feast trying to find the footy last night. Plenty of uncontested possessions, and the team's just trying to find a way uh, through the defensive 
uh, walls of the other team. So the Pies pick up the win. A much-needed one. And boy, they've got a huge game this week against the Blues. Just a huge game. And that's why Carlton fans last night, it would have been very rare for them to barrack for Collingwood in a game of footy, but they certainly would have been doing so last night to keep in touch. The Blues uh, this week will see this as a winnable game. There's no doubt about that. We'll talk about this one later in the week when Josh is back, I have no doubt. I think it's going to be one of the biggest games of the weekend. The other thing that's worth noting... WA has been cleared for finals footy. So uh, I mentioned this before, but with the way West Coast are trending, steer clear of having to go to Optus Stadium and play them because we know they are a completely different team on their home deck in front of their home fans. All right, now it's time for this week's edition of This or That. This or That. Now, this is probably a conversation I would prefer to have where Josh was here. I wanted to bounce some stuff off him. But for me this week, it's about the Hawks. Now, there's been a lot of talk about this rebuild. Where are the Hawks positioned on the ladder? Where are they going to be moving forward? Are they going to bottom out? I think simply, if you look at the state of the Hawthorne list, I don't think that they're in a position where they're going to bottom out. They've got too many quality players in the age bracket that I think will keep them at least competitive. Now, I know they've clearly had a down year this year, but they only need to inject a little bit of youth and they can still be competitive. Now, do I think that they're going to contend for flags again with this group? No, not at all. But will they be in potential uh, contention for the top eight? I think so. Obviously, at the top end, there's a guy like uh, James Frawley that... Uh, sorry, Sean Burgoyne, there's 37, and then James Frawley is also 30-plus. I just think that the Hawks want to avoid going down the path that North Melbourne did last season. Now, let me explain this a little bit. So out of the guys that are 30-plus, I think Sean Burgoyne, obviously, at this point, probably in his last season, Paul Puopolo, 32, I think the same for him. Ricky Henderson hasn't had the same impact at 31. Uh, Frawley's probably got another year or two. I think Isaac Smith as well. Ben Stratton, uh, probably likewise. But then you get into a really, really interesting position on the Hawthorne list. And when I say I don't think that they want to go down the same path as Hawthorne, uh, as North Melbourne, I'm talking about last off-season in the trade period when there was huge market for Sean Higgins and Todd Goldstein. And, and the, the Roos blew it. They absolutely blew it. Because a, a year down the track, I don't think you're going to get anywhere near the same value for those two players that you would have got a year ago. And understandably so. The team's been bad. Teams will know that North Melbourne, maybe at this point, if they're willing to trade them, then they're willing to accept that they stuffed up. And so they're not going to give them the same value as they did a year ago. They're just not. Those guys are obviously 12 months older. So some of the guys that fall into this category for Hawthorne, and I, I think it's, it's obviously different, because unlike Goldstein and Higgins with North Melbourne, these players, a bunch of these players are, are Hawthorne legends. They've won multiple flags. They've been through a successful era. So trading them away potentially if they don't want to leave is something that is against what most football teams try to build in terms of their culture. So I think it's a more difficult situation for Hawthorne. But some of the guys that I think would really still just have huge value around the AFL that potentially could be traded is someone like Luke Bruce, who's 29 years old and clearly still a really good player with time on his hand. Maybe even Ben McAvoy, who's 30 years old. But Jack Gunston's still only 28. 
And I think those three guys in particular, Bruce Gunston and McAvoy, could be three guys that, that other teams that are in the window that are potentially trying to win a flag would really covet. The Hawks could get back some, some draft capital, but potentially some, some young talent in that 20 to 25 range that is ready to play AFL footy, but uh, you know maybe not the experience that those three guys have. Now, again, you're talking about trading away legends of the club. So Hawthorne fans that are listening to the podcast, do hit us up on Twitter at LockedOnAFL and let us know if this is something that you would even entertain or you just want to hang on to these guys uh, for the next few years and enjoy a couple more years of pretty good footy from them. It's just interesting because this is, and we've seen teams do this, this is how you can regenerate your team on the fly because the core of, of the midfield is still super young. Tom Mitchell is still only 26. Uh, Chad Wingard's still only 26, which is hard to believe. It feels like he's been around for a lot longer than that. Uh, Jager O'Meara is 26. And then, of course, uh, the best and fairest winner, uh, James Warple, is only 21. So as, as far as midfield, as far as the midfield goes, they're, they're going to be set for a, a fair while, the Hawks. And they do have time with that midfield core to, uh, to, to really threaten again. And, and those guys can push the team back into contention over the next four or five years. They're still going to be playing really good footy at that time. And Ben McAvoy at 30. You've still got Jonathan, Jonathan Segler at 29, 29 years old. So I, I just think that there's some room to move for the Hawks here. They would have to make incredibly tough decisions. But this or that for this week is the Hawks. Do they hang on to those guys or do they blow it up a little bit with trades and try and regenerate this list through not only the draft, but with younger talent that perhaps uh, has played a few games at these teams, but they, they could do with more opportunity at a team like Hawthorne. I, I think Hawthorne are in a really, really fascinating position this summer. And I, I think we'll, we'll very quickly figure out where their intentions lie. All right, I want to talk about the Cats a little bit now. And I, I thought that they had a pretty fascinating game against Adelaide on the weekend. I don't think it was overall the best game to watch by any stretch. The Cats managed to kick away at the end of that game. But I, I wrote a story, and this again, this is a, again a, uh, a really good opportunity for me to plug my own work. Let's not hide that. This is what this is all about. But the Cats' defense... And the way they move the ball is really fascinating to me about how this is going to stand up under finals pressure. So when I wrote this story, I didn't want to do the same old that we're seeing around here with everyone's pumping up the cats and saying how good they look because we know they've looked fantastic. But the one thing that the cats are still very susceptible to, in my opinion, with the game style they play is pressure. When you put the cats under extreme pressure, not only do you curtail their ability to use the short chipping game and to move the ball around the way they like to methodically. Uh, you create turnovers, and on those turnovers, what you do is have the Cats out of position and they're unable to defend with that team defense that we know that they do. So uh, I got in touch with Champion Data last week, and there is a dis distinct trend with the four losses that the Cats have had this season. So... In those four losses which have come against GWS, Carlton, Collingwood, and West Coast, those four games are the four games that the opposition has scored the highest percentage of their scores from the defensive mid position. So this is in between the center line and the defensive 50. 
Now, I went back and had a look at this, and the reason for that is exactly what I'm talking about. It's because turnovers in that portion of the ground have allowed teams to very quickly and very easily get in behind the catch zone and score down the other way. So I thought on the weekend that Adelaide's pressure was fantastic. I thought it took the cats out of their comfort zone. We saw when the cats were forced to surge the ball forward that they weren't as comfortable and they weren't able to get those one-on-ones inside 50. I think in the end, the biggest problem for Adelaide was that uh, they just didn't have the class and they didn't have the quality up forward to make the cats pay. There was plenty of opportunities for them to do so. I thought they controlled a lot of the game. And for the longest part, it did look like the Cats might find themselves in a little bit of trouble. The other area where the Cats find themselves a little bit vulnerable is out of the center. Now, the reason for this is because at the center bounces, we know they have the 6-6-6 set up. So the teams that have really crushed the Cats out of the center from a scoring, a scoring percentage perspective were the Gold Coast and St. Kilda. Across the season, though, it's been a trend, and we saw this also in the the loss against West Coast where Nick Nat ran wild. If you can get the center clearance against the Cats and force the Geelong backline to play one-on-one, you give yourself a really damn good opportunity of scoring. We know the Cats are very rarely, if ever, get caught out in one-on-one situations. We spoke last week about how well they defended Charlie Dixon. The week before, how many numbers they had at the back of the, the pack so Dan Butler couldn't get out, out loose at the back. The Cats just do such a great job of working in a pack and working as a team. If you can win the center clearances, uh, you can beat them and you can kick a real score against this team that over the last uh, 10 weeks now is uh, giving up 50 points per game. I mean, it's been incredible the way their defense has played. On the weekend, the center clearances were 7-7 seven to seven, and again, I just don't think that the Crows had the class to stop the Cats, but I think it's worth looking at because I do think Geelong are really vulnerable. You think about pressure and how that can impact a team during the finals. During the finals, there's going to be seven-day breaks. And so teams are going to be fresh. So I just think that it's very, very interesting to think that the Cats have looked their absolute best during the festival of footy, the footy frenzy, because teams are playing on four-day breaks, five-day breaks, we know the Cats don't like buys. They, they never win after a buy. They haven't won after a buy for, for years. But I don't think that the Cats winning these last few games has been as much about them as it has been about the other teams, perhaps being a little bit fatigued and not being able to apply the pressure you need to beat the Cats. So I, I do think that the Cats are, are genuine contenders, and I think that they have a game style that might be able to hold up, particularly because they generally are able to defend in numbers for a longer part of the game that allows them to always stay at least close, but it's worth monitoring. If you get to a final against Richmond with their stacked midfield, if you get to a final against Nick Nat with their midfield, you can find yourself in a little bit of trouble. And when that pressure is ramped up and the Cats can't control possession of the footy with the short chip and mark game, I just think it's going to be really fascinating to see how the Cats are able to score against the elite teams under finals pressure when fatigue is not a factor. They got over the line on the weekend. They needed to, again, uh, they keep themselves in top four contention, but it's something to watch for the Cats. I think that uh, there's still a huge question mark over them when it comes to finals footy. And to wrap this up, we've been talking about the top eight for the last few weeks. I made my guarantee that the top eight was locked in with Collingwood and GWS taking the two bottom teams. I actually did a ladder predictor uh, last night. And I went through and picked my winners from all the games that are to come. 
my top four ended up Port Adelaide on top, West Coast second, Brisbane third, Geelong in fourth, then Richmond, St Kilda, GWS and Collingwood, and then Melbourne, Western Bulldogs, Carlton in 11th and Gold Coast in 12th. But as I said, there's some really big games coming up and that was basically based on all the favourites winning. So we know Carlton has a bunch of games against teams that could impact this. Collingwood, one of them. GWS, another one. Uh, Melbourne are going to get a chance against St Kilda this week to pick up a big victory. So there's no doubt about it. Position seven and eight on the ladder are absolutely up for grabs. And I, I think that, uh, you know, it's it's going to be a, a really tight race for the bottom of the eight here. And also for the top four, Geelong play Richmond coming up, as we said, West Coast and Richmond this week as well. So it's going to be really interesting to see how these games pan out. But I reckon that's going to do it here for today. I'm out of breath. I've been talking for the last half an hour, so I'm going to wrap this up. I wish I had a player to shout out, as Josh always does, but uh, just remember, subscribe, rate, all those uh, good things if you are enjoying the podcast and what we're doing. Share it, share it with your friends. Tell your friends to listen to us on a daily basis when they're driving to work or when they're working from home. It's obviously such a strange time, but we really appreciate the support and the growing audience slowly building as we get towards the finals here in the first year of Locked On AFL. And while I was rambling there, I came, out, came up with a player so today, I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Paul Kuleriotis. 